Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I'm your host, Doug, and joining me are Elliot and Tiffany. Hello. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about glyphosate. Now, if you've been following us for a while, we've done a number of shows about glyphosate and Monsanto and uh, Roundup and all that other good stuff. But we thought we would talk about it again because, for one, we haven't done it since we switched to a video format. But also, um, there's been quite a bit in the news lately in regards to glyphosate. Um, a number of things have come to light lately. Probably the biggest uh, headline is the latest um, court decision to award uh, Alva and Alberta Piliad, hope I'm pronouncing that right, two billion five hundred or sorry, two billion fifty-five million dollars in their settlement because they came down with cancer and the court uh, believes that um, it was Roundup, the use of Roundup or glyphosate that um, caused that cancer. So that is a huge blow. I don't think I've ever heard of a lawsuit being settled for $2 billion before, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, so we thought we would um, cover some of the recent developments. It's actually like, I hesitate to say it, but it kind of seems like good news. It mm -hmm. kind of seems like the tables are turning and people are starting to realize how bad this stuff is. And Monsanto, or now Bayer, is actually not really able to hold back the tide of really negative stuff coming out about their um, about their wonderful uh, chemical shitstorm that they've uh, been spraying on us for the last uh, I don't know thirty years or so. No, it's even longer than that, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. I think it started in the the seventies. But yeah. yeah, I think it's good news too that. Bayer Monsanto is finally getting the pants sued off of them. I mean, for, for many years, I mean, people have viewed them, at least Monsanto, as one of the most evil corporations in the entire world. And finally, it seems like they're going to get their just desserts. Now, if these people actually get all of the money that they've been awarded, that's going to be a different story. I'm sure they won't get that much, but no. at the very least, uh, um, at least it raises awareness among the general population about how dangerous Roundup and glyphosate is. Yeah. There's, um, there's also apparently 11,000 people are suing Bayer now um, over the link between like they've come down with cancer or some other kind of condition. I think it's mostly cancer. And there's, yeah, I think there's 11,000 people who are trying to sue. I think it's even higher than that. Right. Yeah, like 13,400 was the last number I saw. Me too. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tricky though, because in, in some of the things that they're talking about, they say there's 11,200 lawsuits. The latest I read that was February. And then recently it's been changed to 13,400, but they say there's 13,400 plaintiffs. Mm -hmm. So it might be that there's some class action lawsuits in there and there's more than one plaintiff. So that's why the, the numbers are kind of up. But nonetheless, like over 10,000 lawsuits pending for them. So that's, yeah. uh, that's, that looks like a lot of money they're going to have to shell out. Now, the one thing was uh, the first uh, successful trial was the one uh, Dwayne Johnson, which was back in August of last year. 
and he was awarded 289 million by the court and that was later lowered to 78 million and mm-hmm. apparently that's because there's some kind of rule that there has to be a maximum of a 9 to 1 ratio between punitive and damages so it's like part of that money is just to punish the company and part of it is actually damages to the um to the plaintiff Mm-hmm. And so because that nine to one ratio has to be respected, like they give them a number at first and then the court says, no, no, wait, wait, that has to be the nine to one ratio. So that 2 billion will probably come down considerably. Um, I think if, uh, if 55 million, 55 million of, of the 2 billion, 55 million is the, the actual damages and nine times that would be around 500,000 or sorry, 500 million. Yeah. So I think they'll probably be looking at 500 million. Yeah. Hopefully they'll live long enough. I think their case actually, the Piliads, their case actually got speeded up because of their age. And it doesn't, I didn't see how old they were, but apparently they used Roundup from like 1975 to around 2011. And they both ended up with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma sometime shortly after that. Hmm. And the same thing with the Dwayne Johnson. He has lymphoma. I think he used to, he did it as part of his job. He would spray like public spaces or I don't know if it was a school that he worked at and he sprayed it. So that's how he ended up with uh, the cancer. And there was another guy. Uh, Edwin, Edwin Hardiman. Yeah, Edwin Hardiman. And he was awarded, I think it was oh, $81 million in damages. Yeah. So this does seem like good news. And the more good news is that Bayer is really like suffering for this. Um, it should be. The, the, yeah. <laughs> well, their stock is plunging for one thing. Um, mm. Apparently it's at seven-year lows right now. They've announced like several thousand layoffs, um, which, you know, of course, layoffs are never a good thing, but for that company, it's good to know they're struggling. Well, they bought Monsanto for $63 billion last year. And I find it hard to believe. I don't know. Maybe it was just wishful thinking on their part, but they didn't think that anything would come back on them about the Roundup or the glyphosate causing cancer. I think that's true. I think that they really didn't think that. Like, I mean, Monsanto has been so successful at just subverting anything. Like, you know, they've they've bought off the scientists, they've bought off the politicians. I think they thought that they were actually like untouchable, that there was no way that um, they were ever going to, you know, they might have to settle a few like kind of small cases or something like that, mm-hmm. but that basically they were they were good. They didn't have to worry about it. But now um, the Bayer chief executive, uh, Werner Bowman, um, has has apparently nine months to prove that he shouldn't be kicked out as a result of last year's Monsanto acquisition. So apparently they had a meeting recently and 55.5% of the investors voted against discharging or ratifying the board management's actions over the past year. So basically like they were kind of put forward a vote saying, well, I think we should be absolved of all uh, responsibility for this disastrous purchase of Monsanto. And uh, they, the investors are like, um, no, 
no, we're not. We are going to hold you responsible for that. Um, and apparently they're going to meet again in nine months. And, you know, people are saying like, basically that means this guy's got about nine months to get his act together and actually figure out how they're going to deal with this tidal wave of freaking lawsuits that are coming their way. <laughs> no, it's yeah, not like this just came out of the blue. There's always been murmurings and papers coming out saying that glyphosate was toxic and it was carcin carcinogenic. And the WHO, I think this was even back in 2015 before they even bought Monsanto, they said that glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. So I guess they thought that they were so rich and they had such fancy, you know, high-priced lawyers that they could get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the ultimate manifestation of wishful thinking there. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't surprise you when you think, you know, that the consciousless animals that are probably running that company who, you know, have zero concern about the average person's health. Yeah. Um, and they, all they could care about was money and power. Um, yeah, it doesn't really surprise you when you take that into consideration, but you know, we're on what over 10,000 now, but I suspect that this is like going to snowball, um, because, you know, with the more evidence that's coming out, if it's acknowledged that it, it is involved in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's also research showing that it's involved in lots of other conditions as well, which is not as well characterized. And so what I suspect is that more and more people are going to come forward, whether it's with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or any other kind of condition, if new research comes out, and it's probably going to be spurred on research on glyphosate is probably going to become more common now. Mm -hmm. Because if we've got this public acknowledgement, then it's no longer going to be um, kind of uh, difficult for scientists to get funding to, to, to research this, you know, I think in the past it's been somewhat of a fringe research topic because of all of the financial strings and things that Monsanto have had. Um, whereas now I suspect that more research is going to be done over the next couple of years, more conditions will be implicated and then it could get into the millions. And what you could see is that Bayer is dissolved. <laughs> you know. Hey, Maybe man. that's my wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, the Roundup has been linked to cancers of the bone, colon, kidney, liver, melanoma, pancreas, and thyroid. And there's probably more besides that. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a new study that just came out recently, like earlier this year, that was a meta-analysis. And it said that um, those who had the highest exposure to glyphosate had a 41% increased risk of developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's kind of like they've been holding everything back for so long and keeping it very ambiguous about, you know, whether um, there is any kind of cancer connection. Then when the WHO uh, came out with their, their IARC panel, um, that had done an analysis and said, oh yeah, it, it's probably car carcinogenic. Um, these, these lawyers have their work cut out for them to try and like argue that no, it doesn't. Because before, you know, they, they managed to stir in enough ambiguity that it was actually difficult to present a case because there were so many other studies that Monsanto had basically paid for um, saying that, uh, no, it doesn't cause cancer. But now it's like, the, the, there's all this evidence coming out, so they're they just can't deny it anymore. That's the that's the real issue. 
Well, I think that the, the main point that all of these lawsuits are bringing out is that Monsanto knew about the, the carcinogenic aspects of glyphosate and they failed to warn farmers and landscapers and anybody else who uses their product that yeah. there was this risk of cancer. Yeah, what they've tried to do <clears throat> in the past as well is I believe there have been certain proponents of the idea that it's not glyphosate <clears throat> acting like uh, independently, but it's a mixture, like it could have been glyphosate mixed with other herbicides, other pesticides, mm -hmm. which kind of gets them off the hook, so to speak. And so people have said, maybe glyphosate contributes but by itself, we can't, you know, we, there's no evidence to say that glyphosate does cause this. Whereas um, in, that, in that study, that meta-analysis, which basically, you know, gave the, um, the statistics of 41% increased risk of, of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, what they actually found was that there's plenty of research showing that glyphosate by itself just giving mice glyphosate could basically cause a condition which is practically the human equivalent of the lymphoma. Mm -hmm. um, so it is fairly, it's fairly certain that this is a carcinogen and it's been known for a long time. <laughs> um, but now it's just, it seems to be coming to, to light that like you're not a heretic for acknowledging, acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, um, now, what was her name? Uh, Marion. Um, Copley? Yeah, that's Marian it. Marion Copley. Copley. And she was a toxicologist with the EPA, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And you can't, you know, file a lawsuit against Monsanto for glyphosate without mentioning the EPA and how they pretty much just coddled Monsanto and accepted whatever findings they presented to them and just pretty much gave them a pass, a free pass to make whatever chemical compounds they wanted, no matter what the effects on people's health. Yeah. So the EPA is supposed to be a watchdog. It's supposed to be protecting the public health, and they're just in bed with Monsanto. But go yeah. on, what were you going to say about Marion? Yeah, she's, she has died. Um, but, you know, basically on her deathbed, um, wrote a letter to one of her EPA. I don't know if it was one of her superiors, but... Uh, Basically just saying, you know, stop with the, um, with what we're doing, you know, the truth about glyphosate has to come out there. And she said, there is no doubt that glyphosate is carcinogenic and listed. Actually, the letter that she wrote, um, Damien, I sent that to you, I think, um, in there, we have an image of it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, basically the, the letter says um she's basically just begging this person um to yes Jess roland yeah there you another go. epa official i think it's a male i thought it was a woman but oh. essentially she wrote and i guess this is a quote from her letter for once in your life listen to me and don't play your political conniving games with the science to favor the registrants for once, do the right thing and don't make decisions based on how it affects your bonus. So that's pretty harsh. Burn. Total burn. Yeah. 
And she also accused another EPA official of taking bribes. Yeah. And so I think I'm, this, this Jess Rowland person, it might've been him, it might've been someone else, but someone at the EPA was caught. Um, maybe there were some emails that were leaked and he was telling uh, Monsanto that, you know, you know, don't worry about it. You should just, you know, find a ghostwriter for some studies. So mm -hmm. when that was leaked and it came out, so he ended up resigning from the EPA. So their hands are very bloody too in this whole mess. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and the thing is that the EPA continues after all this time to keep on um, recognizing Roundup or glyphosate as being extremely safe. They don't even just say, no, no, there's nothing to worry about. They actually label it as extremely safe. Mm -hmm. So it's not just safe. It's extremely safe. You couldn't get more safe, really. It's the safest thing you could do. Even even Costco, they're um, apparently they're uh, planning on actually taking all of the Roundup and taking it out of the stores, stop selling it because yeah. of this. So it kind of makes you wonder, okay, you've got this big line of stores <laughs> who can see, okay, there's clearly an issue. We don't want to be implicated in this. But then you've got the EPA which is meant to be like the main agency, which is protecting people's, <laughs> protecting the environment, protecting people's health. Because glyphosate isn't just damaging to human beings. In fact, it, one of the main ways it's damaging is on like lowly microorganisms. So bacteria, fungus, um, protozoa, these kinds of things. But it's also destroying the soil as well. Um, mm. And this is something that, you know, is really important for the environment and yet the epa are kind of just whitewashing it it makes you wonder you know who's on the payroll here yeah exactly well tiff you mentioned that you thought that it was because of leaked stuff and i i don't think it was leaks i think it was actually stuff that came out in the trial if mm, i'm not mistaken okay. yeah that um and um there's a a journalist named carrie gillum Mm -hmm. who is um she was like 17 years uh, with uh, Reuters and she was assigned to kind of cover the like agriculture beat or something like that and she spent yeah 17 years doing that um ended up writing a book called whitewash which is all about glyphosate um and she actually presented um on October of 2017 uh before a joint public hearing on the Monsanto papers and glyphosate. And the Monsanto papers are basically like everything that, that she had collected. Um, all the information of what had been going on. So not even like, just aside from the fact that it's like completely deadly and poisonous and they've been sneaking it through, it was kind of um, focusing on a lot of the, the, the backroom deals and the, the unethical things that Monsanto had been doing. And through that, she uncovered that uh, they'd ghostwritten research papers that assert gly glyphosate safety for public and regulatory review, provided alternative assessments for studies that indicate harm, convinced regulators to discount evidence of safety problems. They developed a network of European and U.S. scientists to push glyphosate, uh, sorry, push glyphosate safety messages to regulators and lawmakers while appearing to be independent of the industry utilized public relations teams to ghostwrite articles and blogs that are posted using names of scientists who appear to be independent, 
foreign front groups that work to discredit journalists. That's one of the worst things, man. Mm -hmm. Working to discredit journalists and scientists who public publicize safety concerns. And we've seen a lot of that. You know, there's the uh, Santolini, I believe is his name, who was basically completely smeared because he found um, uh, glyphosate was causing uh, fatty liver. Um, we've seen them do all kinds of things. Uh, Jeffrey Smith, I remember, was used to get smeared all the time. Um, because he had, he had written a couple of books and done a number of articles about the dangers of, uh, of GMOs in general, but glyphosate as well. Um, but anyway, just to finish off the, the list here of what um, uh, Carrie Gilliam had said, uh, they provided EPA talking points to use if questioned by press around the IARC classification, provided EPA talking points successfully pushed the EPA to remove top independent epidemiologists from the EPA scientific advisory panel and enlisted three EPA officials to block a 2015 glyphosate review by the U U.S. Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry that Monsanto said would likely agree with the IARC findings. So, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right there you see how in bed they are with the EPA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to get around this. I'm their lawyers would have to be so skilled and the jury so stupid. That's the only way that this could actually not lead to like millions of lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think what's, what would be great is what, if what happened was that there was so many lawsuits that they actually went bankrupt, like they couldn't, they couldn't actually, there's, there's still like pending lawsuits and they've, they're out of money. They're like, no, we don't, we don't have any money left to pay. Actually, you know what? I take that back. That wouldn't be good because then the people who actually deserve to be compensated for the fact that they were poisoned by this company wouldn't actually get what's coming to them. Mm -hmm. But um, nonetheless, you know, to see that company tank, I think would be fantastic. Well, if we want to talk more about the trials, there's a lot of information coming out in the trials. There was a good article that was posted on SOT called Epic Fail. The EPA is meant to protect us. The Monsanto trials suggest it isn't doing that. So there's a bunch of revelations that are emerging from all the testimonies in this trials that are going on. It's just some bullet points. Um, the first one is that Monsanto never conducted epidemiology studies for Roundup and its other formulations made with glyphosate to see if it could actually cause cancer in the people who use them. <laughs> and in addition to not conducting long-term safety studies, they were spending millions of dollars on PR campaigns. They spent like $17 million in one year to uh, pay for ghost-written studies and uh, articles in newspapers that would discredit scientists who thought that, or who, whose work found that there were dangers with uh, Roundup or glyphosate. Um, there are several Monsanto scientists who put together a paper that was published in a journal in uh, 2000, and it concluded that, of course, Roundup posed no health risk to people but there were internal emails and the, the leaders at Monsanto were applauding the team for their hard work on the paper. But 
when the paper was published, there were no Monsanto employees that were listed as authors, even though they basically wrote the paper. <laughs> um, there are other examples of ghost writing. Um, I think we talked about this before. Um, they just wanted to make it seem like the papers, the scientific papers didn't come from Monsanto. Um, the US Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, they wanted to evaluate the toxicity of glyphosate back in 2015. And they, Monsanto delayed the release of the public draft of the, the review mm -hmm. until earlier this month. So in that paper, of course, they actually found links between cancer and glyphosate and Monsanto tried to bury it. Another point was that Monsanto was aware of the tests showing how easily the Roundup chemicals are absorbed into the uh, human body. And Monsanto does not warn people that they need to wear protective gear when they're actually spraying Roundup. And they also knew that, uh, this was back in the 80s, uh, glyphosate, they sprayed uh, mice with glyphosate and these mice developed rare kidney tumors. And they said in that study that this demonstrates that there is a cancer risk for human beings, but Monsanto protested and the EPA just kind of buried that study. And this was back in the 1980s. So all this is coming out in the Monsanto trials and thank goodness for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny, it kind of raises the question um, if, you know, what's been touted as like, you know, our safest widely used pesticide, if it actually, if it turns out that actually causes cancer, then what about all the other stuff that the EPA has said is safe? Yeah. You know, like there's thousands of things out there that they've said, oh yeah, it's safe. It's safe. And it's like, if they're doing this with this one, then what's going on with the rest of them? Mm. Well, I think it shows um, not only can Monsanto and Bayer not be trusted, the EPA can't be trusted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> now that the um, patent has actually expired on glyphosate, um, the biggest producer is apparently China. Yeah. Um, and apparently they are pumping out more glyphosate than even Monsanto is at this point. Um and yeah, like this Chinese company, like including Syngenta. Uh, oh, I shouldn't read them. I can't pronounce these. Sino <laughs> Harvest, Anhui Huixing Chemical Industry Company. Anyway, they've they've emerged all as kind of the top um, producers of this this stuff. So, like, even if things actually do get taken care of on you know in the in the western world where they're kind of like okay we've established this stuff is brutally toxic we're going to stop using it it's like well now you have to convince china as well. well so those chinese companies should be shaking in their boots right about now well they should be yeah yeah but i don't know it seems like it's gonna go on for some reason I don't know. Maybe I'm just a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, part of what makes me a pessimist is that there is another deadly herbicide, not just uh, glyphosate. It's glufosinate. 
Uh, yeah. So maybe they might want to just say, okay, people, we're sorry. We didn't know that this causes cancer. We're sorry we didn't mourn you. Um, we'll give you guys some money. But we're going to get rid of glyphosate. And then they're going to sneak glufosinate in the back door. Yeah. You would hope that people's short-term memory was a bit better, though, wouldn't you? Mm. Because, I mean, surely anyone with a working brain would know to distrust the people who've been lying to them for, you know, since the 1980s. Yeah. Um, so you would hope that people would demand or that someone like the EPA or whatever regulatory body there is um, would demand that actually long-term or more uh, comprehensive studies were done on this before it was incorporated into these weed killers and things before people were going to start using them. You would hope that people would demand that because, um, but, but then again, it, that probably is not going to happen, is it? Well, what I would hope to see would be, like an actual reform of the EPA, like some kind of rules put in that doesn't let things like lobbying interfere that, you know, having independent scientists, like independent studies, like the fact of the matter is like what, what's coming to light here is that the EPA is not independent, like not in the least, they're basically open to the highest bidder. So you would hope that a scandal like this, well, like this should be, would actually spur some kind of change and you know that the epa would actually get shaken up um or dissolved and a new regulatory uh organization started because clearly this 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 body cannot be trusted mm -hmm. like they can't be trusted at all well i think there's also some responsibility on part on the part of uh farmers and big agricultural companies. I don't know if it's, it's, it seems like there is this mindset that crops cannot be grown without harmful pesticides. I mean, surely there are pesticides that will not cause cancer. Surely there's something else that can be used. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, there's, there's scientists trying to do that. I mean, I think there's, um, what's his name? Dr. Dietrich Klingart has actually spoken about non-chemical means of doing this, actually using EMF, mm. using light. You can use different kinds of light and you can basically, you know, transmit. So I don't know exactly which frequency it is. I mean, it might be in the UV range. It might be visible. I'm not sure. But he's, you know, he's talking about how they are successfully, um, you know, preventing things like pests and things just by using this very low level light kind of beamed over these plants is not affecting the way that the crops are growing. But it's a completely non-chemical way of doing things. You're not killing anything. You're not destroying anything. You're not polluting. I mean, I think there's so many ways. I think there's probably more ways. And perhaps they've been... I mean, perhaps they're just not as profitable, you know? Perhaps that's what it yeah. is because you don't have to keep churning them out. You yeah. know, say you set up a system and that's a one-time buy and, you know, this is going to last a while. So I guess that's not as profitable. Um, there seems to be other ways. That's amazing. That's really cool. I hadn't heard of that before. That's uh, That's really hopeful, actually. 
um, because it's it. What seems to be clear is that chemical agriculture is not sustainable. You know, it's kind of like the green revolution came in in what the seventies or something like that, and they're using fertilizers and <clears throat> pesticides and all that kind of stuff, and it's basically just means of squeezing out of the land that last little bit that it can grow, mm-hmm. and you know, as the soil starts getting worse and worse and more and more pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers, all that stuff is needed to kind of prop up of like what's failing essentially. So it's not sustainable. And, and, and I think that using, you know, biodynamic farming methods and organic farming methods and that sort of thing is like a step in the right direction. But what you're talking about, Elliot, like, you know, if they, if you could actually keep pests off your crop of land by using light, frequencies or sound or <clears throat> non-invasive kind of stuff like that's amazing that the potential for that is actually is, is actually huge i would think yeah yeah indeed it's just whether it would make it into the public sphere because of the you know the degree of influence and power that these biotech kind of corporations have and stuff but i, I mean what you're saying about the um the pesticide revolution or green revolution it's like what they did in india where they where the the farmers were using natural methods they were using dung they were using like bones and stuff as um fertilizers and everything they came along and they made big promises promising um you know much bigger yields and things and for the first few years it worked like that but Mm. what essentially happened was that as you said, each year, what you would eventually, it would come to a point where you'd reach maximum yield of the crops. And then gradually it would start to get less and less. And what you'd be required to do is actually buy more fertilizer, more pesticides, all of these kinds of chemicals. You'd be required to buy more and they'd actually put the prices up then. And so what you had was thousands, if not millions of farmers who were getting into progressively more debt with worse yields, so less yield, and actually having to fork out more money on these chemicals. And that's why you've got an epidemic, uh, especially in India, but I'm sure in other places, there's an epidemic of farm farmer suicides. They're dropping like flies. They are actually dropping like flies. And there have been several different documentaries because of that whole business model. And they are only just starting to try to basically um experiment with other methods organic farming is really taking off there because they've they've essentially destroyed a lot of what they did have just 60 years ago yeah it was just a massive money-making scheme based on lies and um yeah i mean it's it's completely anti-nature that's the way i see it it is fundamentally anti-nature um yeah 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 well one of the schemes that kind of keeps everybody tied into this whole better living through chemistry and the use of pesticides is like the, the, the GMO crops. Mm-hmm. Like, I know they were foisted off on India and various other places where the farmer suicides are high because they have to, they can't grow their own uh, heirloom seeds. They can't keep their own seeds. They have to keep buying these GMO seeds and these GMO crops are apparently Roundup ready. So they're, they're resistant to uh, having Roundup sprayed on them. So that just kind of keeps the whole thing going. Like there's like you're on a wheel and you can't jump off of this wheel because you have the GMO seeds and you need the Roundup and there's pretty much no end in sight. 
getting off of this whole roller coaster. Yeah, totally. Uh, it would be nice if, you know, these things actually started getting pursued seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, if, uh, you know, that kind of research into other farming methods. And I think soil, actually, the, the regeneration of soil, of topsoil, is a huge thing. That's, mm-hmm. that's something that really needs to be um, studied and, and find methods for actually regrowing that topsoil because as we're polluting our topsoil and losing it to, um, um, to runoff and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Any second now. <laughs> erosion. That was it. Yeah. We're losing to erosion. Um, you know, the, the rebuilding of the topsoil is, is one of the most important things because once you're out of topsoil, you're like, basically you're done. You know, you, you can't uh, do anything about it. Um, and one of the things that actually Roundup does is uh, it kills off worms. Mm-hmm. And worms are actually responsible for building topsoil in a lot of ways because worm casts, when they um, burrow through the soil, they actually push soil up from the deeper layers up to the upper layers. And by killing off these worms, essentially that stops. So any um, regeneration of, uh, of topsoil ends up, uh, you know, being, um, well, at least it's detrimental, I guess you would say to it, to uh, building any more topsoil. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, I, I think, uh, think we've got a lot of work to do as a race to try and, and figure this out because, um, the, the current things that we're doing with farming is is just like completely obliterates um, the natural earth earth's way of doing things. <laughs> yeah, and and when you consider that glyphosate was originally like patented as a um, as an antibiotic, like an antimicrobial, <clears throat> I think could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, yeah, so it has it acts on 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 certain types of bacteria it inhibits something called the shipmate pathway um and the ship shipmate pathway is essentially how uh, certain bacteria are producing aromatic amino acids so tryptophan uh, tyrosine uh, histidine phenylalanine so these four really key amino acids and yeah so when you inhibit this pathway you're essentially you're attacking certain types of bacteria. Um, if I uh, remember correctly, I think you're attacking mainly anaerobic, or could be aerobic, cool, both. But yeah, certain types of, of beneficial microbes. And, and in the soil, you have a, a complex kind of wide diversity of different microbes. Um, and actually, the the constitution, the, the balance as Doug was talking about is, is really, um, is dependent on, on this, on this type of bacteria on the different sort of ecosystem. And so what happens is, is when you kill off certain types, then you're completely decimating the, the, the pH, the, the qualities of the soil, which allow it to, or which make it a good, good place to grow food in. Mm. So, you're not only killing off like the um, sort of larger organisms like worms and bugs and things, but you're actually destroying the microorganisms as well, which play just as an important role, albeit less understood. Now that's in the soil, but when you think that actually human beings 
are like a hollow biome where by we are essentially a colony of lots of different microbes, um, especially in our gastrointestinal tract. So we've got a bunch of different microbes. We've got all different kinds. And that this was one of the actual initial reasons why Monsanto were trying to um, basically dismiss the idea that glyphosate was was detrimental for human beings was because the research was only showing that it was detrimental for bacteria. Mm. And it turns out that in the past couple of decades, everyone's kind of gone microbiome crazy. So now we know that actually the microbes are really important in whatever way. And that what happens is, is when you're consuming glyphosate, it's going into the gut and it's inhibiting these certain microbes. It's inhibiting um, actually the so-called beneficial microbes so you've got things like lactobacillus you've got bifidobacter you've got kind of um certain types uh, uh proxenitzel and all of these weird names but essentially these are supposed to be quite beneficial and what's happening is is you're preferentially killing off certain types of microbes but there are also other types of microbes which are a little bit less susceptible to glyphosate let's say and it turns out that these tend to be pathogenic for human beings right. when in high quantities and, and certain uh, one of those types of bacteria is actually in in the clostridia family um and what this bacteria you know when it's overgrown this is potentially causing a lot of problems because it can release certain phenols which can get into the brain which can kind of completely screw with the um the dopamine metabolism the metabolism of serotonin produce things like gut inflammation and all of this kind of stuff and kind of completely destroy the entire ecosystem of the gastrointestinal tract as well. Um, and so that's why that's one of the reasons why in autism, uh, glyphosate, I mean, if you look at the correlation, there's a very strong correlation between glyphosate use in a country and autism diagnosis. That's clear. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's causal or not, I don't know. But there are some people who think that it's causal because of the effect that it not only it's having on other functions, um, but one of the reasons is actually causing this characteristic kind of microbiome um, signature, let's say, where you've got less of one thing, but you've got this really overgrown bilophilia, world's wolfia, clostridia, sulfate-reducing bacteria, lots of kind of hydrogen sulfide gas and stuff. And basically, yeah, so so they've they they've been looking at the, the metabolism of certain neurotransmitters in the brain of children with autism, and they find that actually they've got this elevated dopamine state, they've got dopamine-free radicals going around, and there's always <laughs> elevated urinary glyphosate hmm. in, you know, in, in children with autism. So whether it's because they can't degrade it or whether it's because it's actually having an effect on the nervous system, I don't know. I think it's probably both. Um, but ultimately, yeah, glyphosate, by acting on those bacteria, it's screwing with human health as well. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> I was reading something recently where they were talking about how um, there's a, a chance that um, gluten intolerance, specifically celiac disease, is actually uh, glyphosate intolerance, which mm -hmm. is kind of a funny term because nobody is actually tolerant to glyphosate. But that the rise of uh, gluten intolerance has kind of, it mirrors the rise in glyphosate usage, essentially. And one of the things that they're using glyphosate for is, of course, desiccating wheat crops. 
Um, so, I mean, you know, it's not an open and shut case there or anything like that, but it's very curious that along with what you're saying about the, the autism, um, Elliot, but also that uh, a lot of this digestive um, issues that seem to be coming up lately could very well be tied to glyphosate as well. Yeah, well, that could go a, a long way in explaining why, you know, maybe a hundred years ago before widespread use of glyphosate, people could tolerate wheat products and not have any problem. There was not this big growth in celiac disease. And it can also explain why some people in the U.S. cannot tolerate eating wheat products, but they go over to Europe and they do fine if they have some bread. They don't have any problems because in certain parts of Europe, they're not allowed to use glyphosate. Mm -hmm. My understanding is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently that's a very common anecdote, actually. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a, applicable to kind of all grains, actually. Uh, one of the, the interesting things is that you might go on to like some kind of website online and try to find out where they're spraying glyphosate in terms of what is gmo so what is tolerant to glyphosate and what they what they're actually actively kind of as a regime so to speak what they are using glyphosate on and yeah it's a typical corn wheat um sugar cane that kind of stuff but actually as doug just said they use it as a desiccant for things that don't even require glyphosate to grow like if they're not like there's certain crops that they don't spray glyphosate on while it's growing but they spray on immediately before the harvest mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. for instance certain types of oats they don't use glyphosate when they're growing it but they spray it heavily immediately before it's going to be harvest harvested so it's practically like it's practically like fermenting in this glyphosate you mm -hmm. know same as things like chickpeas i think chickpeas lentils um I mean, there's all sorts of things which are heavily sprayed with glyphosate. I mean, like a couple of days before they actually harvest it. That's interesting because I know for a lot of celiac people, um, oats was always kind of one of those things where people weren't sure. You know, it's like <clears throat> some people had celiac disease and they were okay with oats because technically oats don't have gluten, right? But some celiacs were still very, very sensitive to oats. And it was kind of like, well, you know, maybe it's because the the um, the protein in that is kind of similar to gluten, so some people are going to react to it. But that makes me actually wonder if if it actually was the glyphosate, as because the oats were also being sprayed with this uh, this glyphosate as well. So that's why celiacs were actually reacting to it. It's just speculation, but yeah, I mean, from what I understand, I think you can actually develop antibodies toward glyphosate. Um, I think, you know, you can develop like an in immune intolerance to it kind of thing. Um, but it's also acting on the digestive system in, in many other different ways, actually, because I mean, if Stephanie Seneff and her colleagues are kind of correct about this theory that it's mimicking glycine in protein synthesis, then they've come up with various models about how essentially, um, certain types of enzymes proteins like for instance trypsin uh, a protein digesting enzyme and certain other enzymes which you need to digest protein like the production of these enzymes you've got critical glycine residues so you need glycine in a specific place for the enzyme to function whereas 
you know, if glyphosate is like replacing that, then that is going to screw with the entire kind of pancreatic digestion. And so people Hmm. are going to end up with like undigested proteins and develop all of these food intolerances. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's also like I was reading that we're talking about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma earlier, and I actually became interested in it, trying to find out what the mechanism was because non-Hodgkin lymphoma is like an interesting one. Um, And no one seems to be, I haven't seen in any of the articles, anyone talking exactly how it works. Um, And so I was reading that paper, the one that came out in February, 2019, um, and it seems that they don't even know how it works either. Um, but what they do know is that glyphosate definitely does cause this cancer. Um, but they've they've postulated that there's several different kind of things going on. So so they speak about how glyphosate is affecting the gut microbiome. So it's causing this like inflammatory state in the gut microbes. So they're producing all these kind of inflammatory compounds and activating the immune system, which is causing immune kind of intolerances to foods and all of this other stuff and stopping you from digesting things and everything. Um, But it's also going to make the digestive tract, like even in the stomach, more susceptible to things like chronic infection, which has in fact um, been implicated in, in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, whether (laughs) as a cause of fact, I don't know. Um, but they're talking about how glyphosate, because it acts as an endocrine disruptor. So basically endocrine disruptor, meaning that it completely destroys the sex hormones. Like, um, it promotes the, the estrogen. So it's very estrogenic. So it's basically increasing the growth hormone, which is estrogen. Estrogen is like a key cancer causer in certain contexts because it is a growth hormone. So, it, you know, it has been implicated in cancer, much like the um, um, the um, HRT, you know, giving mm. women exogenous estrogen is known to cause breast cancer. Mm. Um, but what this also does is it kind of, um, it reduces the male's ability to produce testosterone. And as per my understanding, testosterone is kind of anti-cancer, you know. Um, okay. It's one of those kind of modulating hormones but it's interesting because yeah so they've said that um disruption of sex hormones may contribute to lymphomogenesis Uh, again when it gets into the cells it it directly attacks the dna as well so it causes like uh uh like uh breaks in the dna strands like literal like I don't even know how it does that. I don't think they know either. But what they know is that glyphosate, when it gets into the nucleus, it attacks the DNA and it's basically... Really? Yeah, it's like ripping it apart kind of thing. It's causing DNA. It's probably due to the oxidative stress that it causes. Uh, So I guess numerous studies indicate glyphosate causes oxidative stress. Uh, Interestingly enough, what it's doing is it's actually depleting hepatic glutathione, the reduced form. So, um, and this is interesting as well, because in autism, autistic children, um, as per the research, have much, much, much lower levels of hepatic glutathione in its reduced form, which is an antioxidant um, kind of, uh, yeah, the cell's main antioxidant, actually. And so, yeah, it's saying that glyphosate is basically depleting these by causing oxidative stress. It's increasing loads of enzymes, which are involved in like oxidative stress even further and 
it, it seems that no one knows, but there, there are just so many mechanisms which have been laid out. I mean, even if you forget all of this stuff about, um, about the gut microbiome, like even now they know that when it gets into the cells, it just wreaks utter havoc. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's kind of really unfortunate that it was ever allowed to go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because our exposure to it now, I mean, yeah. It's I mean, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, for most of us, all of our lives, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, they yeah. tested like pretty much every food. It's in yep. there. It's in human breast milk. It's in children's urine. Mm-hmm. It's in eggs. Yeah, I don't think there's much of an escape. I think that if there is any justice in the world, not only will Monsanto get their asses handed to them in court and have to pay billions of dollars in damages for causing cancer, but there's also been this uh, researcher, and I can't remember his name. He says, and I agree with him, he says that Monsanto, or Bayer at this point, and I would include all the other uh, chemical companies that, produce glyphosate, they should be brought up on charges of crimes against humanity. Mm. They're basically just ruining the earth and Mm -hmm. ruining the lives of the people who inhabit the earth. And that's a crime. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I think that crimes against humanity, excuse me, that crimes against humanity thing is kind of an underused charge against people though. Because I think I think we should be throwing that around a lot more. Yeah, it seems like it's only brought up sometimes in uh, like war situations. Mm-hmm. But I think that certain companies should be brought up on that charge as well. Yeah, I think that Bayer Monsanto should be top of the list too. Yeah. Interesting that um, one other thing uh, I had come across while kind of preparing for this show was that um, uh, Major General Tran Nhoc of Vietnam um, recently sent a letter to um, the U.S. courts um, seeking for them to reverse their decision in 2004 um, ruling in an Agent Orange case. So basically, Agent Orange um, was a defoliant, basically. It was like during the Vietnam War, the U.S. would drop this chemical onto... um, the plants, the the jungle, basically to to kind of dissolve the the forest, so that the um, the Vietnamese couldn't hide in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a it was a, a way of trying to get rid of their cover, basically, so that they could uh, more efficiently kill the enemy. Um, but it was it. I mean, it's related to glyphosate in some way, is it not? Like I I think that they're they're very similar um, chemically, if I'm not mistaken, or close to the same thing. Yeah. Do you know, Elliot? Uh, what's that agent orange yeah agent orange uh i'm not well anyway um apparently so you know this this guy's letter was basically just saying that you know with all these um uh court cases coming to light against monsanto bayer um you know what's the deal like when back in 2004 when we were asking for compensation um, it was ruled that it was inconclusive, that the damage um, basically was inconclusive. And the, the stuff like Agent Orange, this was done in, what, the 60s? Um, between 1961 and 1971, the U.S. Army sprayed some 80 million liters of Agent Orange over 78,000 square kilometers of Vietnam. 
Um, and there are 4.8 million victims of Agent Orange, uh, including deformities, disabilities, cancer, among other things. Like this stuff is nasty, like really, really nasty, like much, much like glyphosate for that matter. And I find it really interesting because it's not like the people who were exposed to it got a disease and died or whatever. Like this is a multi-generational thing where um, children uh, being born to families who were uh, exposed um, are get, having these deformities and these cancers and these sorts of things. Um, and it's very interesting because there is um, a study that was just done recently that showed um, that glyphosate actually causes this intergenerational problem as well. <clears throat> Maybe, uh, Damien, I think the first uh, link I sent you is actually a link to the Nature article that's about this study. Um, and it basically was showing that um, they exposed rats to um, the, like, an amount of glyphosate that isn't um, enough to show uh, a toxic effect in this in the, the, these people, but they exposed pre pregnant rats to this. And essentially what happened is that those pregnant rats were okay. Their children were kind of okay too, but it was the following generations that started to show all these detrimental effects. And it was, um, let me see if I can find it here. <clears throat> The transgenerational pathologies observed included prostate disease, obesity, kidney disease, ovarian disease, parturition, uh, sorry, birth abnormalities. Um, uh, the future generations had sperm identified differential DNA methylation regions. Not quite sure what that means. Altered sperm in any in any case. Um, apparently, the third gener third and fourth generations were obese, um, so they were having all these kinds of problems down the line. You know, so even if the if the the rats that were actually exposed didn't really seem to they seemed to be okay. They didn't seem to have any kind of um, major things that they could notice. But it's their children. It's their children's children. So. And it's the same kind of thing that they're seeing with this this Agent Orange thing as well. It's continuing through the generations to cause these kinds of problems. So I imagine that the U.S. courts are going to completely ignore Vietnam on this one. Mm -hmm. um, but crimes against humanity, once again. Yeah. It's not looking good for Monsanto, that's for sure. Nope. With any luck, it'll look worse. Yeah. Couldn't have happened to a nicer company. <laughs> well did you guys have anything else that you wanted to bring up about uh, glyphosate elliot yeah well, some <laughs> good news oh yeah 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 just to end on a happy note or a hopeful note hmm. uh i'm actually just looking at paper right now actually um yeah so it's probably not all that bad I mean, it probably is quite bad. I, I mean, it, we could be sure that it's bad, but there are ways that we can, or it seems that there are ways that, that actually the earth is kind of responding to all of the glyphosate because we were talking about how glyphosate is in the soils, but it turns out that there is somewhat of an adaptive mechanism in some of the soil anyway, depending on the bacterial kind of constitution of that, um, is that, you know, you do have soil de glyphosate degrading 
bacteria in the soil yeah really uh, yeah yeah so so there's there's lots of different types of glyphosate degrading bacteria um and it turns out that some of these are actually being some of these are found in probiotics so there are um i mean i can't see the ones which are in the probiotics here but i mean there was i was listening to an interview last week they're talking about i think it was lactobacillus plantarum i could be mistaken on that um, but that has been shown to to degrade oxalate and interestingly i was looking at it last week to see um to, to look at some of the research to see if anyone had kind of successfully um managed to um to find a way to detox this stuff because it's quite horrible apparently what it tends to do is is a lot of the glyphosate is kind of bound up by the gut bacteria kind of bound up to the intestinal cells and things but there are um there there is some research on animals um particularly in ruminant animals because i think the farmers are basically coming to the conclusion that like they've been spraying glyphosate on the grass or or whatever um, it, the animals have been eating it and essentially they've been getting really sick. So the farmers kind of want to find a way to be able to stop their animals from getting so sick. Um, and so there was one paper which was basically showing it measured the urinary glyphosate in cows, I think it was. And what they showed was that they used a mixture of... Um, they used a mixture of... It was activated charcoal. That was one. So that was like a binder, like an adsorbent. So we know that activated charcoal can kind of bind with the glyphosate when it's in the gut lumen, when it's in the intestinal kind of tube, um, and carry that out into the feces. So they used charcoal. They used, um, oh, what was it? Fulvic and humic acid. And fulvic and humic acid is in the soil. Mm. Okay, so this is a natural kind of biological substance it looks like black it looks a bit like coal almost um and this is a yeah like a natural substance and basically what this is capable of doing is 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 degrading this glyphosate and so they gave these these animals charcoal fulvic and humic acid and they also gave them uh, sauerkraut juice huh sauerkraut juice because sauerkraut juice when it's been fermented you get a specific kind of bacteria called acetobacter and acetobacter is able to degrade glyphosate wow so what they found was was they measured the urinary glyphosate beforehand they did this protocol for uh, i think it was a month or two months or something like that it was quite long term I don't know at what point of day whether they gave all of the supplements at the same time or at different times but um, yeah, they showed significantly lower amounts of urinary glyphosate after the protocol. So what that is suggesting wow. is that either it's increasing the degradation of the glyphosate, preventing it from being absorbed, or it's just, um, well, yeah, or it's kind of detoxing it in some way. Yeah. But either way, I mean, urinary glyphosate is the measure that they kind of use to tell you how much glyphosate is going into your body and how much you kind of, you know, naturally how much you're weighing out. But this protocol seemed to work. So, you know, if you think you've been glyphosate poisoned, then might be worth looking at like a full spectrum fulvic and humic acid supplement. There are a couple of companies who do a really good like uh, product. 
fulvic and humic acid, sauerkraut, and drink the sauerkraut juice. I think they had quite a lot, but they're cows. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure how to do the, uh, the calculation of how to take the amount that you would need for a cow and kind of couldn't transfer that to a human, but I'm sure it, you know, it's possible to do. Um, mm. They were having like 500 milliliters of sauerkraut juice every day. Wow. Um, you would need less. So Actually, 500 milliliters? Yeah. So that's actually not that much. Yeah, yeah. That's I not mean, that much. But I mean, every day. I mean, you'd have to have a lot of sauerkraut, Just wouldn't you? Be like a like a glass of sauerkraut juice, probably. Yeah, yeah. That's so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's doable, <laughs> isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, you have sauerkraut juice, fulvic and humic acid, and then um, and then some activated charcoal. I'm guessing you take activated charcoal away from that because you wouldn't want to necessarily, you know, disrupt any of the other kind of um. Uh, you know supplements you're taking but mm-hmm. yeah i mean apparently that's a that's a good way and then some some probiotics there'll probably be some coming on the market i would imagine yeah specifically for glyphosate i think we'll see that very soon that's great that is really good news yeah uh, you know it's kind of one of those things where it's been um it seems kind of hopeless you know when when you hear about all the the glyphosate that you're surrounded by and there's nothing you can really do about it well now it's good to know that maybe there is something that you can do about it so that's it that is very good news yeah well, it's good to end on a high note mm-hmm. definitely well should uh should we go to zoya's pet health segment yeah yeah i don't it's gonna be a surprise for me i'm not sure what it is today <laughs> <laughs> segment of the objective health program so this time we are going to talk about pet emergencies i already mentioned them several times but when it comes to emergencies it is always best to talk about them as much as possible in order to be prepared so watch this video where dr andy rourke shares five signs that you need to go to the vet like right now and don't forget to stay till the end and watch a funny video have an awesome spring everyone and goodbye and now your host, the vet who knows a thing or two about bloating, Dr. Andy Rourke. How do we know if we've got a full-fledged emergency on our hands? Let's check out my top five signs for breathing and digestion emergencies. When is vomiting or diarrhea an emergency? When you're on a date. When you can't clean the mess up before they make another one. When it goes on for an extended period of time, like more than 24 hours, and there is an additional clinical sign like weakness, lethargy, pain, or if you see any blood. Ooh. My rule is this. If your pet vomits more than three times, call your vet and ask for advice. If you vomit more than three times, don't call your vet. Just lay off the tequila, maybe. Also, if your dog or cat loves eating more than life itself and they stop, that's serious. If your pet has a painful or bloated belly along with any of these signs, head straight to the vet. If you see these signs, it may be due to a condition where air becomes trapped in the stomach and the stomach twists over on itself. It's a condition called GDV 
or bloat. It is common in um, large breed dogs and that are deep chested. GDV is a life-threatening condition that requires immediate medical care. Anytime your pet is struggling to breathe, that's an emergency. If your pet's gums are blue or purple, you should already be at the vet. Signs of a breathing problem include... That's right, a complete stop in breathing is on there. Because some people... If you think there's something stuck in your pet's throat, don't try to get it out. You might just make it worse. Just get to your vet. Seriously, get your hand out of your pet's throat. I'm looking at you, lion tamer. Sorry. Not to mention, you might accidentally grab a hold of part of your pet. Please don't remove parts of your pet. The color of your pet's gums is important. Pale gums can be a sign of uh, anemia or internal bleeding. Blue gums, an oxygenation problem, problems breathing or something with the lungs. Bright red gums, systemic infection or shock. Yellow gums, a liver disease or a liver problem. Um, glowing gums, your pet may be an alien. If you see any of these colors, especially if you see them with other signs of illness or with a behavioral change, that's an emergency. Also, if your pet is an alien, go to the vet even if he's healthy. Because come on, we want to see it, because that's awesome. <laughs> Who knew so many cats could actually know how door knockers worked? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> cats are great. Okay, well, that's our show for this week. Be sure to like and subscribe down below. Um, and hit the notification bell. I think that's a thing on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back next week with another great topic to discuss. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye, everybody. You.